Welcome to TLDR Ozpol, the podcast for the engaged-ish people of the world. Hello and welcome to TLDR Ozpol. Annabelle, it's so nice to see your face. You too, Ray. Um, before we get started, Annabelle, over to you. Oh, yes. And before we begin, um, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on the land in which we record these podcasts. We are um, in two different areas uh, tonight, so both the Gadigal and the Wurundjeri people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that this land is always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Prior to tonight, we'd done a whole lot of pre-recording. So we'd like gotten together and pre-recorded the first like six episodes of TLDR. We did a very good job of pretending that it wasn't all on the same night though. Absolutely. Until anyone with keen ears could hear that the audio (laughs) was distinctly different for the first three as opposed to the second three. But, you know, like we'll just keep that between friends. Um, (laughs) But I I thought we, um, I always loved when we were doing those those two big nights of recording, how we'd be like, oh, you know, so nice to see you, Annabelle. It's been two weeks when actually it had been about two minutes since we hit stop on the last episode and record. And we'd been staying together for days. That's right. <laughs> Every time we've been recording, we just happened to have a sleepover the night before. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but this is not the case for this episode. We were kind of forced into getting our act together and working out how we could record from remote locations um, for a couple of different reasons, actually. Uh, one of which is that you've been back in lockdown. We're back. We're back, back, baby. You're back, baby. Um, how how are you? How was it? I'm okay. Are you okay? I'm okay. We're good. Yeah. Um, hopefully coming out of it. Hopefully on the pointy end of it now. Um, I was just saying to Ree the other day, um, our acting premier, um, Mr. Molino. Um, the the big difference for me is now every time he does a press conference, every time he does a presser, I think about that time he talked about me in Parliament, and I feel yes. good. Yeah. Whereas very <laughs> that's wholesome. A big difference with this lockdown for me. Um, but look, you know, it's just it is what it is, I guess. But it has forced us apart. It has, which is really sad. But also, you know, this may actually be better for TLDR and for our adoring audience. We realised when. Yes, exactly. And we realized that when we were recording ahead, gosh, it all just dated super quickly. And some of you, like, yeah, the bikinis out there might have already picked up on a few times where we referenced things that were like super old by the time we released the episode. So we're sticking to fortnightly, but we are um, trying trying the remote record thing. So um, if you hear some ridiculous noises happening from either of our houses, children crying, babies not crying. me, yep. I don't have the babies, um, but I have already had the family cat scare the absolute life out of me as we were preparing for the episode. Um <laughs> But anything odd like that is because we are recording. Now, having said that, it has been quite a while since we got together to record an episode. And I feel like there has been a few things. um, For you. Yes, there have been a few (laughs) things for me. So um, we did, in fact, miss uh, an, an episode um, it hasn't just been a while since we got together and recorded. It's also been a while since we released an episode. Um, uh, so we missed an episode because I snapped my Achilles in a game of netball a couple of weeks ago. Um, so you since started the with the bad news, I see. Yes, I started with the bad news. I'm just going to get that out of the way. So, um, yeah, snapped my Achilles, went in for surgery last week. Um, I'm, I'm back on one foot. Um, um, 
I'm on one foot for a little while, but that's okay. We're going to be okay. Um, but the other thing that happened in the last, you know, what, six to eight weeks of TLDR land is that we um, we lost an episode and we, we told you all this on Instagram. Very sad. It was an episode that we both loved dearly all about COVID. Mm. But at the beginning of that episode, I announced some really fun news that I had gotten a new job and started a new job. And I was robbed of my opportunity to tell our adoring fans this news and so I take it twice I get to tell them twice um but definitely since um since that episode was recorded I've started a new job with the tech council of Australia so I've made the move into policy work which is super exciting um we need a sound effect of like thunderous applause yeah absolutely or something like that um there it felt it felt like I got a lot of thunderous applause which was really nice um so that's been super exciting and it also means that um um, there are there are some episodes that are kind of in the works coming up that are even more yep. exciting now um, because yeah I finally made the move over into policy so that was the fun that's the fun news to cover up this, the tough news of of the Achilles but look we're back on deck we're recording from afar it's all going to be great hopefully things are nice and fresh for you. And actually, the other thing I'll mention before we get into the episode, I'm so sorry, I don't think we've had this much banter at the beginning of an episode yet, but it just felt <laughs> like there was so much to say. Um, we do have a third Ozpol, TLDR Ozpol team member who has joined us. So the wonderful Amanda um, has has joined us to give us a hand on the socials uh, because I just dropped the ball entirely on it. Um, and she has whipped us into shape. We've never been this organised. It's amazing. So a big shout out to Amanda. Give her a high on the socials when Yay. you jump on. Thunderous to check applause. Out Thunderous applause all round. It's why I'm in my blanket fort tonight. I know that yes. podcasts are only audio, but audio, but um, where you can see the lovely visual of me in my fort, which was uh, recommended to me by Amanda. So she's already yeah. making waves. Already making waves. And yeah, she's amazing. So um, yeah, we're very grateful to have her on board and a big hi. Now, all of the, I feel like it was family announcement time, all the family announcements out of the way, time to jump into today's episode. We're actually going to try and keep it a bit short and sweet today because we're way behind the eight ball on this one. Um, (laughs) Today's episode, we're doing a bit of a roundup on the budget. Um, It was ages ago. We know we're very sorry, but it would be, we can't call ourselves a NASPOL podcast without doing a budget app. Um, We're also trying out a a little bit of a new podcast. uh, episode format today so we're going to give you a quick rundown on on the policy you know what the budget is um there's heaps of numbers about to come your way so hold on ties <laughs> trap yourselves in and then annabelle and i have both picked out three kind of our three fun facts of the budget what were the three things that stood out to us um as we were as we were going along here so look on that note um let's let's dive right in Annabelle, yeah. I don't know about you, but I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to the federal budget before this year. The whole thing was quite new to me. Um, thankfully, I'm dating a dear boy who is very interested in all of these things. And so it was made a little bit more interesting when we decided to have budget night, date night and rope did my housemate <laughs> at the time as well. So I've really had the people around me to help make the budget as exciting as possible. I've told you this before, but as someone who watches Question Time for Kicks, yes. this is like music to my ears. I bloody love that you're like 
having budget date night. I'd never even thought yeah. of something like that. That's so funny. It was great. I loved it. And um, yeah, by, by budget time next year, the, the <laughs> darling boy and I will be living together. So it will be um, budget night party at our house. I'll be um, there. But it was if I'm I out just of lockdown. It, if you're out of lockdown by then, yep. Godspeed. Godspeed. It's too real. Um, but look, the, the, the basics of the budget, um, it's much more than a giant spreadsheet for the nation was my, my first takeaway for this year. Um, but it's released annually for the year ahead, even on years where there's an election potentially within, um, the budget year. Mm -hmm. Um, the week leading up to the budget, there's a bunch of teasers announced, but you only find out the details of those, um, in the one hour speech. Um, that the Treasury gives to Parliament on budget night. Super fun fact for you. So a thing called the lockup happens on the day that the budget is handed down. And what the lockup is, is five hours before the budget speech, there is a group of journalists who are invited into Parliament House. They cannot take anything with them except snacks and like, you know, their, their pens and pencils. I'm assuming technology and stuff these days as well, but I'm not actually sure on it, so don't quote me. Um, but they then have five hours to digest the budget paper so that they can hit go on their stories and their commentary as soon as the speech is finished. So, you know, when Josh Frydenberg jumped up and gave his really thrilling speech um, in Parliament and and said some of the announcements that we're about to run give you the rundown on um basically as soon as he's done that speech there's journalists who have the detail of like how that where that money is going straight away so anyway that was a fun discovery i didn't know that yeah i'm learning the lockup yeah um the other thing on here on the show notes and i just thought that was like I don't know, re-slang, like froth it, you know, the lockup like, of yeah. budget. <laughs> Lock up. No, it's actually a thing. So it's actually a real journo thing. Real so that's thing. awesome. Um, so that's kind of the mechanics of the budget, right? That's how it happens. The, the thing that I also found super interesting about the budget this year was, you know, pretty quickly what came out was Josh Frydenberg saying that this was like the women's budget, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of different there's a bunch of different narratives that can be pulled out of this budget mm-hmm. without commenting on whether or not I thought that was the right thing to do or whether or not I think the budget actually addresses those things, those narratives that it says it will. I think my reflection on, on this, whole, this whole thing as like a policy tool was that the budget is just so much more than like what we're spending where, but the budget is actually an opportunity for, the, for our sitting government to let us know like what's important to them you know, at the time and what, what are they valuing for the year ahead? It's like a window into the political agenda for the next 12 months because when they make promises about what they're going to spend on things, they got to then see them through, particularly on years like this year where we have an election looming. So kind of yeah. I came into the budget looking at it through the lens of like this isn't just this isn't just a practicality, but actually this is like a moment of political theatre you know that there's a moment where like everyone is watching uh, and everyone who will assume something will assume it in this moment so make sure that you're giving them the right story uh, Mm. to kind of go home with it's such an interesting perspective I mean obviously that women's budget and again you know like you we don't need to kind of go into the minutia of whether or not we agree that it is but the fact that they've come out and said that you know for me, like maybe cue some eye rolls and okay, you know, this is the, <laughs> you know, the, the kind of 
hip thing to do or whatever else, but like to actually be clued into social commentary and understand, hey, we need to talk yeah. about this. I'd not, actually not really thought about it from that perspective. So that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up in that way. And actually kind of made it more accessible for me because I'm not mm. a maths and numbers person, you know, and mm. so I was like, oh, the budget just feels like the most boring thing ever to try and get across. But when I had that kind of perspective shift of like, oh, actually that one hour speech lets me know what the government m- think matter, you mm. know, and, and it's an opportunity for them to let me know they're, they're hearing me um and they're they're hearing us because that was a very it was a very strong message to send right to come out saying it was the women's budget after a year where we've had so many challenges and so many stories that have been far less than what what any woman deserves um come out you know for them to then use the budget which is really just like I said what I thought was a practicality to come out and address that I was like this is such an interesting kind of political move you know to Mm. say that even even the budget is an opportunity to to make friends you know even the budget is an opportunity to let you know that we hear you and yeah like we said you know the detail of um do we think it does that aside um I think it made it a whole lot easier for me to follow um Mm. and a whole lot easier for me to engage with keeping in mind that it wasn't just about the money Mm. um but it would be seriously remiss of us not to do a little bit of a rundown of what money was being allocated where. We're going to whiz through this like super quickly, bearing in mind that in the next couple of episodes, what we're going to do is pick out a couple of these different areas and actually pull apart the policy mechanics of how yeah. the money is being spent. So don't hate on us. Don't hate on Amanda. Poor Amanda on the socials. If we go too fast and you don't catch everything, because we will come back. Um, <laughs> replay, Annabelle, us. <laughs> replay us. Um, <laughs> uh, where are we spending some of our cash yeah. this year? I'm going to start with the pandemic response. Love this. Um, and one of the first things I wanted to sort of say is the budget is actually based on the key assumption that a population-wide coronavirus vaccination program will be in place by the end of 2021. So that's a very, very interesting assumption. Um, But the government is committed to spend a total of $311 billion to fight COVID, including $20 billion on health support and $290 billion on economic stimulus. Um, Another $1.9 billion on the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines, another $1.5 billion on COVID healthcare services, taking the total spend to $20 billion on the vaccine rollout and health system more broadly. That was a lot of numbers. That's a lot of cash. And there is more we to come. Started. We just started. Another big part of the budget was aged care. And this was right off the back of the Royal Commission um, mm. into aged care, uh, which which wrapped up, I believe, earlier this year. So it's a pretty quick response from the government actually to address the findings of the Royal Commission. And if you're not sure what a Royal Commission is, I suggest you listen to episode four, where we talk about the uh, Royal Commission, call for a Royal Commission into uh, veteran suicide. Mm, um, well done. You're welcome, everyone. Um, <laughs> for aged care this year in the budget, we had $17.7 billion over five years responding directly to the Royal Commission report. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was comprised of $6.5 billion for an extra 80,000 home care packages over two years, which helped more people live in their homes for longer, which I'm not sure about you guys, but looking at my, my dear grandmothers, 
I want them to be living in their homes for as long as possible. Um, there was $3.2 billion to cover a $10 per person per day increase in payment to aged care providers, $3.9 billion to increase the number of care minutes each aged care resident receives per day to 200 minutes. So um, a couple of initiatives there, uh, like we said, to respond to the Royal Commission. Um, as we've also said, this was a budget for women. Annabelle, tell us what what exactly did that mean? Where's where's the cash going? I just want to say before I get into it that you did that very well and I need to do a few more red leather, yellow leathers. You just, <laughs> you just, your pace. Anyway, so $1.1 billion will be spent on women's safety measures, including $261.4 million over two years in a new deal with the states to boost frontline family, domestic and sexual violence services, further funding for drugs to fight breast cancer, osteoporosis and other women's health initiatives, um, childcare subsidies for families with two or more children if they're both in care at the same time, and removals on caps on childcare subsidies for high income earners as well, which I, you know, think is something childcare as a mother with a, a three and a bit year old in childcare, that's something that I'm really keen to unpack a little further. In the yeah, weeks to come. and it's worth noting as well, as we were doing the, the prep for our show, there were so many of these um, specifics that we were like, oh, we want to talk more about this, but it's actually so mm. complex. So, mm. um, yeah, we're, we're really going to try and avoid any specifics in this episode on on how that money will be spent, but know that it is coming. And if there's anything in particular you want, we will address it. Yeah. And Annabelle's um, burning to talk about it. Annabelle is burning to won't. talk about childcare subsidies and Ree is <clears throat> burning to talk about the digital economy strategy, but we will <laughs> not. Um, a, a big part of every budget is, of course, tax and what's happening with the way that our taxes are structured. Uh, this year, there's a $7.8 billion um, extension of tax relief for the 10.2 million people who are considered low and middle income earners. Um, uh, you may remember last year, um, a bunch of us, I certainly got this benefit, um, got like an extra $1,000 back on your tax return. And that was because of reforms to the way that taxes are structured. And so um, that has been extended this year. So if you fall within that bracket, you'll get a little bit of extra back, uh, extra cash back in your taxes. Um, another big part of every budget is infrastructure. And this year we had $15.2 billion. Sorry, Annabelle, this wasn't the plan and I did just railroad you. Um, I thought just, it was going to be real smooth and I was just going to jump in, but keep going. No, no, I, I, I marked that up. I was on a roll. I still had some breath left in my lungs. I was like, I'm going to finish the sentence. Um, there was heaps of specifics on infrastructure, um, but I left them out um, because they're a bit boring. Uh, but we're spending $15.2 billion over 10 years for in- infrastructure projects across the country. Annabelle, Shall I do education? I honestly <laughs> yeah. would prefer to listen to you read these out than me because, as I say, you're pacing. You've done your red leathers. Um, education, so $2 billion in funding for preschools and reforms to improve participation, a total of $19 billion in funding for universities, 5,000 more places in higher education short courses. And then you get to do jobs, 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 jobs. jobs, jobs. Yep, great. Um, (laughs) So every government loves to say they created jobs. This government this year has said that they are giving an extra $1.5 billion to hire 100,000 apprentices and trainees in the next year um, as the government extends one of its most successful job creation programs for the second time. So um, there's been... There's been a bunch of different initiatives created to try and um, get more Australian young people into um, apprentices and traineeships. 
Um, but over the next four years, this particular initiative will see 270,000 new apprentices and trainees um, expected to be hired under the wage subsidy scheme, um, which also kind of ties in a little bit with some of the digital economy strategy stuff because obviously our digital, you know, jobs in the digital space is um, – is a really fast-growing industry, so it's, it's kind of it kind of makes sense that I got to finish on that one because there's there's a little bit of, there's a little <laughs> bit of love in there for you got for to do jobs and tech. I got to do jobs. Um, so, so why that don't you tell us then, Ray, your three key points. That yeah, you take my away from my top three budget. things. So look, all of those fancy numbers aside, like like I said, that wasn't the way that I best connected with the budget because numbers aren't my forte. But there were three big things that I took away. Um, in in attempting to get across this budget. The first one is that, you know, we just spent a lot. We spent a lot of cash. Like there was a lot Mm -hmm. of big areas in that budget. And a lot of the commentary that I read was kind of talking about how this was like a very Labor-looking Liberal budget. And... And I just found it super interesting. I was like, one of my first questions was, well, how do you follow that, right? If it's an uncharacteristic budget for a Liberal government, it gave the, you know, like the socialist inside of me a little a little bit of hope, you know, that when, mm. when we need them to, our Liberal government actually can enact some pretty rapid policies that really do look after its people. Because I don't think we had much choice with this budget than to spend, right? We've just had a crisis decimate the country over the last 12 months. Well, not even decimate, actually. We're doing pretty well, all things considered. But, you know, there was like some some big policies that needed to be enacted to look after people really quickly, and that happened. And I feel like this budget kind of followed that similar trajectory. Like there was a need here to look after the people and to spend money on initiatives that would make sure that people's needs were met. And the optics of it were that it did. You know, like we had money really being thrown at some some big social spaces that maybe haven't received as much love in the past. Um, you know, and, and also just given the nature of, you know, the political spectrum, liberal budgets usually place more emphasis on saving money. You know, like they like to see a surplus and they like to talk about the budget being back in black. And if we think about, um, you know, in episode two where we talked about the political spectrum and talking about, you know, that analogy we used of like, okay, well, if a conservative government, um, you know, looks after the needs of the nation so that there's more money there to and more benefit there to flow down to the individual, whereas, um, you know, the progressive or the, the labour side of, of the spectrum, they just look after the needs of the people first and, you know, like and and then that builds the the good stuff for the nation. I've totally butchered that, but you all understand what that I mean. Builds the good stuff for the nation. The good stuff for the nation. Go back put to that on a two. put that on a social tile. Put that on a tile. Um, but you know, if we think about the if we think about the political spectrum and where this budget falls, right? Like, you know that 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 idea that liberal governments prefer to have a good cash surplus, you know, hanging around makes sense ideologically. Yeah. Um, but this year we didn't do that. We we were talking about what what debt we were in, what deficit we had, um, you know. And so it was just, yeah. I think one of the things is like I'm a, I'm a little bit like, wow, what does next year budget look like? You know, yeah. How do they follow that up? How do you follow that? Mm. Um, that actually leads into my kind of my second point. Actually, so my second point is that budgets are really hard to compare because I, I felt like I was reading different metrics all of the time. You know, one minute we're like talking about how we're going to spend $10 billion over 10 years and the next minute we're talking about how we're going to spend $1 million, $1 million 
one million dollar over one year um and so I found it quite hard to like get an understanding of how different this budget was as to last years and and I think that the kind of takeaway for me on that was a little bit like what I spoke about before around how you know the budget is just another opportunity for a political show you know Mm -hmm. like the budget is an opportunity for an active political theater and part of me reckons that sometimes they pick they pick the metrics for those announcements based on what's going to sound the best as opposed to what's going to be the easiest to follow or what's going to be the easiest to compare yeah and that might be the cynical view and it's and the cynical view normally isn't the view that I bring to the table because I'm (laughs) I like to be quite I am quite optimistic and romantic about the way that these things happen but you know, I think that, you know, having those narratives surrounding this budget as well of like, oh, it's the women's budget and, you know, that that kind of narrative, I was like, this is actually a super interesting political tool as opposed mm-hmm. to simply a big spreadsheet of how we're going to spend our taxpayer dollars. Um, and so that was kind of, yeah, my my second my second point here was that, yeah, the, the budget is an active political theatre just as much as any other presser or, you know, any other announcement and, and coming and into it, understanding that me- meant that it meant something different to me. Yeah. And if you're not like sort of following budget on budget on budget, some of these announcements are similar. You know, when like I was looking at um, like research funding, if you follow the CPI index, it's actually less money that they're giving year on right. year, but they sound like big numbers, you know, but yeah. actually compared to last year, when you look at growth and everything else, it's actually less. So it's it's a really, really good point and really interesting way to look at a budget. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing we have to get better at, Tough. to be honest. Like we have to get better at making it easy for, for like the everyday person to compare and engage with it, you know, mm. because I think if we, at a top level, if we go right, I can take a look at this budget and I can understand what like the political agenda looks like for the next 12 months and I can get an idea on what the government is valuing and rah, rah, awesome. But what will be better is to be able to understand quickly how the current budget changes or shifts the priorities that the last budget that a government put out, Mm. you know, because, yeah, like that research funding is a super great point. Just like, you know, one of the commentaries on this budget was around how universities didn't really get a lot of love, yet they've mm. experienced a lot of hardship coming out of COVID. And, you know, but reading the budget, I was like, oh, but there's $19 billion allocated to universities. What do you mean they need more love than that? Like, <laughs> hold on, is that more or less than last year? And it's like, it shouldn't be so hard for me to go and find that info. And maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe I'm just a bit of a goose. But Anyway, no one point number you're two. A ghost, <laughs> Thanks, Annabelle. Um, point number two: the budget is a politic, an active political theatre. Uh, point number three: um, I'm going to do a deep dive on this. We're going to do a deep dive on this in a whole separate episode because I'm so pumped about it. Was the language of the digital economy? Now, taking point two into consideration, right? In that um, active political theatre, making sure that the government use the opportunity to let the people know they're listening. Um, I, as a very niche person in the tech industry who also cares deeply about policy that influences tech, loved that the government were starting to use language around um, really needing to build our digital capabilities as a nation because one of the things that I get very excited about is how technology and innovation can actually drive progress in all of our key industries. 
yes, we are an industry in and of ourselves, but also when you um, make good things happen in for technology, you can make good things happen for, you know, all sorts of industries. Ironically, I was at a cure brain cancer a fundraiser a couple of weeks ago and your CEO Abby was up talking about how commercializing research you know actually is such a big part of the system in curing brain cancer and it's like when we yeah. can when we can enable technology to help find cures for brain cancer faster like this is when I start to get really excited about my job because Yay. it's like it can influence all things and so um, not going to tell you the specifics of the digital economy, largely because I don't really know them all that well just yet. Um, but what I was excited to hear was just that language being used, you know, and a whole strategy announced around. Um, so it's $1.2 billion that was announced over the next six years. See what I mean? Really hard to con- compare when, you know, mm, $1.2 billion over six years. Didn't see six years anywhere else. Anyway, to make Australia a leading digital economy and society by 2030. And so... Uh, what that indicated to me was that the government saw the need to support technology, uh, and that is exciting. Annabelle, what did you find exciting about this year's budget? Yeah, so I'm going to pretty much solely focus on health. Um, those of you who know me know it's my bag, um, and it's also we we mentioned one of the um, one of those big big winners, I suppose, in the budget. Um, which was aged care receiving $17.7 billion. Um, another one in health in the health space was mental health receiving $2.3 billion. Um, and, you know, as we say, here's another teaser. We'll go into how that money's spent over the next few weeks um, mm-hmm. a little more. But I do want to say, a, like, I do want to say a little bit of my, get on my soapbox a little bit here. Um, and, you know, obviously such welcome funding. Um, but my thought is sort of more that, that more focus on sort of systemic issues and structural change um, that have come out of those Royal Commissions are going to be needed if we really want to see growth in those industries. And yeah. as I say, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But that was something that really popped out for me. Um, I think, you know, the second one, you know, it would be remiss of me to talk about health and not mention COVID. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll give you that. Um, and I will, I promise you, Rhiannon, I'll steer way clear of the COVID-19 <laughs> vaccine and treatment strategy within that because everyone's pr- probably pretty obvious what I think about the way it's all happening. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people have a lot of things to say about that, me included. So, you know, let's leave that for another time. Um, exactly. So while we all know that government is still essentially playing COVID catch-up, and let me trademark that right now, so COVID catch-up TM, Um, This year's budget, I feel, sort of hasn't addressed many of those challenges that have been created by the pandemic response. So one Mm. of those is sort of the blown out public hospital waiting times, um, which was created by that shutting down of all unnecessary elective surgery. Yeah. Um, And, you know, sort of that rolls into my third point, which is, um, you know, through our pandemic response, you know, we've seen such an, an amazing social emphasis on protecting those in our community that are high risk, you know, those with comorbidities and that's mm-hmm. why we're wearing masks and that, so that's why we go into lockdown, um, lockdowns and, you know, the people in our community have those chronic health, issues, uh, health conditions and as a, as a, are at high risk. You know, there's such a sort of social literacy around that now mm. at the moment. Um, so I was actually a little bit surprised not to see more focus on preventative health in the budget. Mm. Um, you know, and I did a little bit of desktop research um, and found like, you know, in Canada and the UK, preventative health expenditure is actually over 5% of the health budget, which I thought was really amazing. Yeah, right. It's quite big. Um, so our $250 million over four years, there's another metric, four years. Oh. Um, 
is is much lower than that. So, you know, things like obesity, social determinants of health, they're, they're really only minimally addressed in that. So I was actually, that was something I was actually looking for, which was weird. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't see it. I was really surprised. It's really interesting. Um, one of the one of the areas that we haven't actually mentioned tonight, but that we're going to do a deep dive in, in our next few episodes is um, Australia's mental health care mm, mm. Um, system. And uh, last year or the year before for uni, I wrote a, an essay on um, on our mental health care system and about the role or like the place of prevention and preventative mm. mental health. Um, it was really interesting because so much of the research talks about, I'm kind of not surprised that preventative health isn't really in there because it's really hard to measure. You know, like when you're treating yeah. um, a fully manifested version of any disease or a chronic version of any disease, the outcomes are super easy to measure because mm. the um, like the impact on the individual is really high. And so it's a lot easier to kind of measure the success of an initiative. So I'm, I'm kind of not surprised, but I feel like there's definitely a bit of a theme with with a couple of the reflections that you've talked about there around and even in episodes prior to this, actually, not just about the budget, just around this, like, how do we get better at systemic intervention and identifying mm. the systems that underlie the um, the policy areas, you know, the, the policy problems we're trying to solve and how do we get smarter at intervening yeah. at different points? Anyway, that feels like a whole other podcast episode. Yeah. Um, and is a rural mission the best way forward? It's interesting that, you know, aged care and mental health, which are both, which I've mentioned here, both have had royal commissions. Yeah. You know, all of the, you know, quite a few of those areas that have had royal commissions, disability is another one, you know, uh, are getting quite a lot of funding. So is that what makes the government pay enough up? attention to it? Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating because we do know that royal commissions are also really expensive, mm. you know, and they're a really, you know, they're a really expensive way of getting the right attention on an issue. Yeah. So are they the best way of going about it? Exactly. You know, but if they're getting the, the best, the best outcomes, then. Yeah. Anyway, we could keep going. Let's for go a really through long where time. we landed. Where we? did we land? Well, look and wrap this wrap, wrap this, this mother up, bad boy up. Um, look, most of my reflections are pretty high level because that's kind of that's kind of how I operate. And as someone who hasn't particularly engaged with a budget before, this year this year's one it did fascinate me. Um, I don't think we had much of an option but to spend big to aid the COVID recovery. I don't think we had much of an option to spend big to make sure that we knew that um, we, you know, because I'm an active part of the government, <laughs> I don't think our, our government had much of an option but to spend big to make sure that um, the citizens knew that those big events that had really rocked the political kind of landscape and rocked Parliament House were being addressed and like were noticed. Mm. Um, and like I said, it, it does give me a bit of hope that, you know, that the Liberal Party can look a, like, look a little better at some of those social issues because, you know, we've talked before about how we both have, um, you know, we both know where we sit politically but we also both have our tensions with, mm. and, and that's definitely a tension of mine is that there are some yeah. social, there are some of our, um, the approaches to social issues that I, I wish were a little bit more you know, heart filled. Um, <laughs> and and this year's budget did give me a little bit of hope that that, that is possible and that there mm. is kind of, it is possible for our Liberal government to um, do what they need to for the people when they need to. Mm. And I think if we look at this budget as an indication of the agenda, um, then then there are a lot of different groups being looked after in the next 12 months. And I think that's encouraging to see a different kind of budget from a government. Um, but like I said, will be super interesting to see uh, how next year's budget differs. Um, but look, for a first-timer, 
I didn't find it super easy, but I am glad I persisted uh, because I did in the end think that it was quite an interesting um, policy tool. Abby, where did you land? Yeah, I mean, look, it's kind of similar, you know, in the sense and and just sort of going back to what you said before in like your key points, you know, I think I'll stop short of calling it a Labor-looking Liberal budget. I'll leave that to you. But, but you know, I do, you know, you're right. Like a lot of the new government spending is going to sectors which, you know, in the past the government's been criticised for failing to support. So like, you know, children, the elderly, people with a disability, I, I suppose we could add women into that. Um, and, you know, I love, like I said before, I love that these sectors are finally getting that focus and funding. Um, for me, it's how that money's spent within those sectors that mm-hmm. is the lens that I'm looking through now. You know, some of them are getting some some big chunks of money, but um, you know, we're we're looking at you know to we're, we're forecasted to be nearly sort of in a trillion dollars worth of debt by 2024, 2025. Um, so I want to see real systemic change for that amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's our generation that's going to be Paying living that with back. that debt. Um, yeah. You know, so and and obviously, you know, we're going to explore that in a little bit more detail over the next few weeks. Um, but you know, yeah. I guess essentially, my where I landed was, you know, I just want it to be worth the debt. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, cool. Which I think is like, it's fair. It's co- it's common sense, really, for it to be <laughs> worth the debt. Um, and I think that does leave us in a really good place to kind of bid everyone adieu, but keep yes. them keep them hooked for the next couple of weeks. So that um, was teasers galore. Um, teasers we needed a teaser counter. We did. <laughs> we did a teaser count. Um, but stay tuned. Look, over the next couple of weeks, like we've mentioned, aged care and mental health are on our radar to take mm. a little bit more of a closer look at um, how, how our taxpayer money is being spent on those particular things. Um, give Amanda a shout on our Instagram if there's anything else from this budget you'd like a deeper dive into. Um, there's also a couple of other great podcasts who have done um, slightly kind of more in-depth look at at the spend of the budget and that kind of thing. Uh, The Daily Oz is a great news podcast that does that and their Instagram explainers are legendary. Old Boys Club down in Melbourne as well um, have done some in-depth stuff on the budget too and they weren't late to the party like us. So um, heaps of of reading and listening that you guys can do to get yourself across it. But for now, uh, we're going to love you and leave you from our first um, remote episode yeah Um, abby it's been so nice to see your face again likewise i I know this is a lovely reason to catch up (laughs) yes it is it's been great all right guys see you soon Bye. bye